What up, what up? This is Andrew with Profusion. I was told I need to be more serious and because I do big deals by somebody today. So he might even be listening, but maybe I shouldn't be saying what up, what up. But what I want to cover today is I've been going through, well, well, probably for the past 10 years I, and, and a lot today in the last week is negotiations. It's a topic that I've become obsessed with because when I took the class at Harvard called Negotiation Mastery, it was about six or eight weeks, completed it and passed it. Thank you. I became obsessed with negotiations. Everything is a negotiation. Everything that goes on, wife, kids, anything with anybody all day long, any ta any task, there's a negotiation going on. It's it's crazy, especially when you're in the thick of it, taking a course, it's a lot easier to see that. Then the buzz kind of falls off a little bit and you know, just the broader strokes stick for me. But when I was in it, I loved it and I I wanted to cover it because I've been going through some high stakes negotiation lately. And we I advise to stick to fundamentals and the clients just, you know, they wanted to stick in their ways and they didn't want to they didn't want to go to the fundamentals really. So that led me back to research because it was so high stakes. I dug into my notes, I dug into my studies and I, and I, and I did my best to persuade them and I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. And he ultimately decided to negotiate his way, which, um, is like how a seller is just, you know, wiping their hands clean don't want to play the game, don't want to do the song and dance anymore. They're tired of it. They're ready to be done. But that's, in my opinion, not the way to play the game. You still have to play the game until the deal is over, till the deal is closed. So what made me re reset all this thinking was, was, uh, was this high stakes negotiation. And, uh, and so I dug back into my notes and, and, uh, in my Harvard notes and, and basically what I've relearned again is, uh, Azopa, Abatna, uh, creating value, seeking empathy, go for no tactical empathy, diffuse negativity, black swans, no free gifts, never accept the first offer. Um, a few of the, the greatest books that I've read in negotiation I, I, and, I think I'm personally a great negotiator, but that's me tooting my own horn. I have gone through, I, I have become friends with Barry Nelbuff. He is a Yale negotiation professor. He has been on our podcast and I've read his books. His book, Split the Pie, was probably life-changing for my negotiation skills. And I'll go over the, the tactic that he uses later. The other book that is amazing is just uh, Chris Voss, as most people would know, uh, Never Split the Difference. We've got Split the Pie. We've got Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And th there's a number of them, but uh, those are probably the top two I would pick. I'd also 
um, you know, it's more of a sales book, but go for no. It's, it's, it's a bit of a sales book. Um, but yeah, those are, and I'll have to think if there's any other, there's an old school video that I've always loved on the internet for negotiation, but, uh, you know, and then I also defer to my Harvard study. So my Harvard study covers, like I said, Zopa and Batna, zone of possible agreement. And they also have a matrix in there. I've been attempting to figure out what that matrix is called. Um, but so a Zopa is a zone of possible agreement. Now, if I am willing to, my bottom is 10 million and my top line is, uh, you know, my stretch goal. They always recommend to have a stretch goal in negotiation is, is 18 million. And my, my bottom line is 10 million, let's say. Um, so, so that is my zone of possible agreement. Now, the other side is willing to pay and then, and then do those zones converge? Do they blend? Do they, do they come over one another? And that's when, you know, they always say, be willing to walk away. You know, don't negotiate with anybody unless you're willing to walk away from a deal. So there has to be priorities in front of that walk away. And part of that is called BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So it's better if I get offered 6 million or 8 million, it doesn't make sense to take this deal because it makes more money and it just doesn't make sense. So the BATNA would be not, not accepting a certain number. So those are a couple of the tactics from the Harvard uh, negotiation mastery course. Um, I really like the stretch goal concept. It's something that expanded my mind. I didn't really think about. And I always, and, and it's called, the opposite side is called anchoring, which Chris Voss mentions. If you're, if you are negotiating something that's a thousand bucks, you, you can anchor and, and throw in, like make a real low ball offer. And, and uh, that's called anchoring. But um, for, for Harvard, they, they like to talk about what your walk away is, what's your walk away number. Uh, and they like to, they like, they highly recommend, this is what I found interesting. And this is what I, I don't normally do is getting to know the counterparts for 10 minutes. And within that course, it was a Japanese or Chinese strategy. And Harvard believes that if you get to know whoever you're doing business with for 10 minutes, which is building rapport basically. And, uh, and we did multiple uh, negotiations with other people internationally, and we had to technically speak non-business items for 10 minutes. It, it can be hard, but I deferred to my sales tactics, which was family, you know, frog, family, recreation, occupation goals. So I would, I would cover those items. Usually no problem getting somebody to talk for 10 minutes or talk about yourself. And people always like to know a story of origin about yourself during those 10 minutes. And this, this is supposed to diffuse hardcore tactics. 
right? This is supposed to diffuse the individual from just doing a quick deal or get moving on quickly. This was another HBS negotiation tactic. The others, uh, they like to they like to focus on creating value. That was one of my favorite things was how to create more value. And how to create more value is expanding the pie. And that's a great segue into Barry Nelbuff's Yale strategy, which is called split the pie. And his basic concepts that I took away, and there's so many in that book, but the best way to make more money is to expand the pie. For example, if I want to make uh, a commission on a $100,000 sale and I want to make a certain amount of dollars and they don't want to pay that much dollars, then you increase the sales price. So if I want to make $10,000 on a $100,000 sale I and the seller is only willing to allow me to make five, then I would say, all right, let's expand the pie. I'll sell it for 110,000 and then I get 10 and then you keep the extra five. So that's the one tactic was expanding the pie and Barry, Barry strongly believes in this tactic of splitting the created value. So if I create $10,000 over the hundred thousand, I get half. So the seller will always want more. They'll want me to maintain my percentage, which is less. But his belief is that that value would never have been created. And sometimes people will not generally accept that 50-50 split on the newly created value. So it has to be softened into and handheld to persuade them into agreeing instead of going hardcore right into business, go in, okay, I'm going to create this value, you know, find some sort of method where it's not just all about the numbers. And the example that he uses is when he sold his company, Honest Tea to Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was just massive billions, tr trillions, whatever they do. And he's selling his company for small dollars. I, I can't even remember, 20 million, 30 million, 100 million maybe compared. And they were off by 10 million bucks, right? Or, or whatever. And he found a nuance in there. If they could, if he could use, I, I can't remember specifically, I might, but he, he found a nuance where if we could use their bottling, we were able to reduce our prices. Regardless, he was able to get Coca-Cola to the added value he created. He was able to get them to split that. I think he was able to even get them exceed it. So whoever goes beyond that, if you accept less than the 50, then that person's the winner. The other person's the winner. If you accept more than 50, then you're the winner. And then if you split it down the middle, that's that's a, the concept that Barry Nelbuff had created. So the one, the other scenario that really hit me was when he uh, uses the domain scenario where a guy is a domain poacher. For example, somebody buys a domain with my name on it and calls me up and says, 
I want to sell it to you for 2000 bucks, but I can go to the domain authorities and spend $1,300 and I can get them to take back that domain and give it to me, but I have to pay $1,300 to get that done. So how he structures this is obviously he's not going to pay the 2000. He's the, the hundred percent pie is 1300. So his argument is that this domain is actually worth 650 bucks because if he pays the guy 1300, he gets zero value and the guy gets a hundred percent value. But if he pays 650, then he gets 50% of the value and the seller gets 50% of the value. And that is an even split. And he will not agree to anything because he would rather, he, and, and arguably you could say he could agree to 850 and uh, the, the seller agree to 850 instead of the 1300. But what he presses on is the rapport building and that he's willing to quote unquote, I guess you could say sacrifice the $200 or the, the four, the four fifty in that scenario, because the other party, he, he would get nothing. And he says, I, and he explains it in a nice way. I can do this and you will get nothing. And that's the that's the hard process to go through to educate the other side about this or figure out a way to persuade them. So even if the buyer in that scenario is willing to pay 650 is the goal here, but 850 is still cheaper than 1300, right? So that's kind of the concept I struggled with because it's still cheaper than 1300, but he's looking at the other side as the guy will get nothing. So you have to continuously persuade the show them that there's 50, 50 value. Now jumping to Chris Voss, that was a lot there, but Chris Voss is, is big into tactical empathy. He loves to use tonality. He loves to use voice inflection. He loves to use, uh, the, uh, uh, he calls it the the night DJ, the night DJ voice, you know, or the whisper effect. What what do you what do you think about this offer? What do you think about that? That that when you're whispering, that has significantly more effect than so tonality is his big takeaway. How questions are the big takeaway from him? It seems like it sounds like it feels like straight up statement and then regurgitating basically. Oh, I think that it needs to be uh, more money this, this, this way, it sounds like you want bigger gains. So you want to rephrase what they say, use the word. It sounds like, it seems like it feels like, and then pause and then let them respond to that statement and his, his game that he would play. And I went to his course and the game that he would play. And I, I, in person, I met him, I had lunch with him and his, and his, um, his, uh, his, his, and I went toe to toe with him too. He's like the Mike Tyson of, of, of negotiation, but his, his, uh, his method is to, 
is to see how many statements he can get in a row without asking a question. He's looking to elicit as much information from the other side. And, and he, that's basically quote unquote mirroring, right? So he's mirroring the other side. His goal is to diffuse negativity because he was a hostage negotiator and identify black swans. So black swans are, this is, this is common in every negotiation. And sometimes the buyer or the seller don't even know it exists or they do. It just wasn't top of mind. And that is something that changes this new information, changes the direction. And the goal is to uncover that as early as possible because that has the potential to change the value. Uh, quick, quick note. Um, he loves to say, uh, well, another note is whoever cares the least wins. I've always heard that term. And then uh, Chris Voss always likes to use the F word. He, the F word is the word fair uh, and, and, and emphasize that word and pause on that word. And he, he loves to use that as a, as a trigger point in negotiations. He's a big proponent of emotional intelligence and he calls them calibrated questions, which are your how questions. And he likes to emphasize positive emotions and diffuse negative. And I can't remember, I'd have to dig in, but he doesn't like to use fair, the word fair right away. But if they use fair on you first, then you're, I think he said, Ooh, that's that, that hurts that, that, but active listening is obviously a, a key item taking notes. Um, and then one item that I, I came across is well, never accept the first offer. And then uh, I heard the salami effect. I always thought this one was interesting. And no free gifts. Never get a free gift without taking something in exchange. So the salami effect is I, I'm going to sell you this and it has this item, this item, this item, this item. You know, for example, a mortgage. There's a mortgage, there's an interest rate, this and that. There's like four or five items that are potentially negotiable. And the salami effect is that person is attempting to chip away at each one of those items. And it's, it's taking thin slices or small concessions bit by bit until there's somewhat relatively greater value. And, you know, that is, you can be on either side of that, but just be on the lookout for that. Um, and that, that covers a, a lot of it, um, of the negotiation, um, for the most part. And, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to circle back and I'm going to say that, that, uh, creating value and, uh, and, and having proper etiquette in, in negotiations is, is the most important, but, uh, yeah. All right, guys. I, I, I hope you, you learned something here negotiation wise, and we'll, we'll catch you on the next episode.